feeling good today. I don't know why. Should be dead. All these leaves talks. Burning the candle at both ends. Nah. Maybe the fellas got me going today. Maybe Armin, Armin said like eight things that made me laugh. So maybe that's it. Maybe I got that going on. Maybe it's that the Toronto Maple Leafs are the easiest team to talk about in the history of professional sports. Like, I got to tell them, thank you for this. All the frustrations that you've caused in my life, the fights I've had with friends at bars, yelling about what the team should be doing or... Sure, there's, there's been device about the disappointments, the just heartbreaking losses, the crushing defeats that have caused me to question fandom, that, that have, have caused me to go, why am I this way? The one thing I have to thank them for is they, they just always give you stuff to talk about. Sid said it yesterday on the show, but damn, it's so true. Y- y'all, some of y'all probably think it, the media, the media, it's the media, it's because there's so many of you. And yet, it's just, it's layups. Today, I, I, don't, I don't even have to stretch. I don't have to stretch. It's just, it's right there for you. Wide open basket, wide open hoop, night in, night out with this hockey team. Anyway, let's get into it. Somehow the goalie is back. Somehow Samsonov looks incredible. I'm going to talk to Luke Fox in a few minutes. Maybe he's going to share some insight that he hasn't in a column in his notebook. But whatever happened that week, whatever happened that week that he was away from the team is, is going to be, I want a 30 for 30. I want a deep dive. I need a Seth Wickersham like column on why Samsonov going away for a week being protected from the media one day transformed him from completely unusable, broken to what we saw last night. Calm, cool, collected, nasty in the net. Kicking the pads around, ripping the leather, carrying his team to a victory. They were horrific in the first period last night. It was genuinely embarrassing. Again, the Leafs chats, the Leafs group chats, they were popping because they couldn't even complete a pass. It was... That's, that's genuinely as bad as it gets for professional hockey. I, I went, I've seen, I, and I don't even, I'm not even being facetious. I'm not even being over the top. I have seen preseason hockey games where guys are clearly not trying, look infinitely more connected than the Leafs did in the first period of last night's hockey game. Genuinely. That was low-level stuff. That's a, that's a title contender that had that many turnovers in, the, in their own zone every single which way. And Samsonov just kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, making some saves, making some saves. Nothing spectacular, but looking steady, looking solid. No softies. And then the second period happens, and he has... That's his best save this season. I, I know that he's had a couple beauties here and there, but considering the, the circumstances and where he's been at and that it was a 2-1-0 and that it required multiple saves, that's the best work that he's had all year. So... Congratulations to him. And then in overtime, he's nasty. And these penalty kills, he's making saves. Ones that, uh, th- ones that people online would be crushing him for had he let in, but are far more difficult than I think meets the 
and I include myself in this when I say casual eye. I'm not trying to be condescending about it, but to me, it's the casual eye. When they're a little bit far removed from the net, the screen, he's battling through him. He just looks incredible. Stylistically, he looked different. So we'll ask Luke about that. But the, the other thing, too, from yesterday is Sheldon Keefe is, <laughs> he right now is Jon Snow in front of that entire army of the Ramses Bolton bad guys. He's just, he's pulling the sword out and he's standing in the field and he's saying, I'm going down swinging. I'm going down swinging this sword, baby. I love it. I genuinely love it. He's calling him out in the media. This is not, last night, I, you don't need to play it, Armin. I'll paraphrase it. He kind of couches it a little bit. I'm not trying to radio or media this guy, but he said that they were lifeless to start the game and that they get two points, but it looked like they were on the West Coast trip. And then he kind of ends it with this little line about how now they got three nights of sleep before their next game, which to me sounds like, hey, no more excuses. You guys get this game? No excuses Saturday night. That's the same team that's missing a bunch of key cogs. Last night they didn't have what? But after the first period, they're missing three of their best four guys in that game and then a couple of other important pieces for them. It was basically the Kraken game where you, you had a you – you got to win that game. I'm sorry. I don't care that you're coming back from the road trip. You got to beat that team. No excuses Saturday night. And to me, heading into the All-Star break, this is going to be a little bit of a turning point for the season. Maybe it's going to be a bit after it. I've said all along I don't think that they were going to fire Keefe ahead of the All-Star game. It just optically was not something that – I think a team that is hyper-concerned about the media and perception, the way people talk about them, that that was going to be a move that they make. I'm telling you, these people care about this stuff. Like, way too much. Way more than they absolutely should. No questions about it. And they didn't want to go to an All-Star game where they're hosting this thing, and they have Austin Matthews, William Nylander season, all these, all these storylines that they want to make a positive one and have, well, we're, we got to ask you about who the new coach is going to be. That was never going to happen. But... You can clearly see that something has changed with Sheldon Keefe. You can clearly see that he's feeling a bit of the pressure here. And last night, all the credit to him. Held his stars accountable in a moment that mattered. Played a guy that is a flawed player, but a depth player, and gave him more ice time when it's not something that he's done a ton in the past. Saw the guy that was going, bumped him up the lineup, and said, screw it. He loses board battles. I don't care. I'm playing him. I'm, I'm giving him his minutes. And then was not just giving praise to everybody in the post game. So good for Sheldon Keefe. I, I thought also made adjustments on the power play, which has been oof. That's that's got to get figured out pretty quick here. That's it can't be I think one in their last twenty. Can't be doing that much longer. Anyway, I the question for Keefe is going to be the one Versteeg texted me last night. Maybe it's too little, too late. But I like what I'm seeing, and, and I think this next stretch of hockey. And which is weird because it's all-star break, but this, these next, this is, this is going to be a real telling moment for this Toronto Maple Leafs team. Anyways, Luke Fox, senior NHL writer for Sportsnet, had to sit through all that. What's up, brother? How are we doing? I'm doing okay. I know there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack from last night. Hell there's yeah. a lot going on. There is. It, for, a, for a one goal game, there's a lot in there. Yeah. Okay. This is great because you, you wrote your notebook, which is must read for people. Okay. Go read Luke Fox's notebook. Every single time it comes out, I'm like, Ooh, treasure you know there's especially for what i do this is just this is this is the tonic that i need right this is hey here's here's a bunch of different storylines that you can think about and you can try to examine over the course of your show so i do want to get into some of the stuff from the notebook but you know it starts off you're talking about joe wool's returning there's all this 
all this questions, all these questions, all this consternation about when the kid's going to come back and what's the net going to look like. And all of a sudden, Samsonov out of nowhere comes in and looks brilliant. And I, I know we can't, it's hard to trust Ilya Samsonov at any point. Like, I don't even know, I was saying it yesterday, how many great starts he's going to have to string together for anybody to have a reasonable thought of, okay, well, he's he's the clear backup. This is a 50-50. He is back to being the starter. Like, I, I don't know what the bar is for this guy. But I got to start with the the rehab stint or the, the, the walk-away time or the, hey, go take a mental vacation time. What do you know about it? Because it was very secretive. It was very quiet. And yet, he, it, it it appears to have worked. It's it's unbelievable. Like, can you recall a goalie or maybe any player going away from the team and coming back and having such a complete 180? Like, before he went into this, he was arguably the worst goalie in the whole National Hockey Not League. arguably, he was. Maybe Antti Ranta in Carolina might have had a... Ooh a worse save percentage, or you could argue that he had a better defense and, and, and was disappointing, but, uh, and then just complete 180. He has a, a decent start against Detroit, but loses, but looks kind of solid. Then he was stellar against the crappy Kraken team on Sunday. And then he goes out and has the game of his life, saves a shorthanded two on O where they get two shots uh, keeps the belt, <laughs> which has never happened. Uh, you know, even Austin Matthews had to concede. No, no, I don't deserve it. You deserve it, which is the right call. Uh, and he looks it is, but it's not just, you know, the stat lines or the fact that he has two wins in a row here. It's his whole demeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like he has his confidence back. So, you know, I, I he said that it helped not being part of, feeling like I had to prepare for a game. So even if he's backing up Martin Jones in his mind, he's like, I could go in the net. I could go in the net tonight. Mm. And it was getting in his head. Uh, so this is he, like, when you talk to him, he said it is a hundred percent mental. He needed a mental break from the grind. Um, he was hard on himself thinking I'm, I'm no good. Maybe I've lost it. I'm sure the, the arbitration factored into it. I, I know for a fact he wanted security in terms of having a long-term deal just had a baby at home wife at home like there's there's a human element to this and then the Leafs say yeah it's great that you you got us our first playoff series victory in you know two decades but we don't believe in you yet uh you have to prove it all over again so that's how he enters training camp and basically he says from October till up until two weeks ago uh, was the lowest point of his life um, mentally. You know, it's the hardest he's he's had to to go through. So just and I, I wasn't a believer that you know just time away, not playing a game with the Marlies, only having one practice with the Marlies, like just basically hanging out with goalie coaches and talking to his family and, and people close to him. I wasn't a huge believer that that would suddenly flip a switch. Uh, but it did. He needed he needed a break. And and he said something interesting this week is that his parents um, flew from Russia and came to visit him. And he had a real long heart to heart with his father. And his father kind of said, like, you're not a kid anymore. You're you're a dad. You're a husband. You got to fight for this. Like you're basically like your career's on the line here. Like if he didn't if he had doesn't respond 
Like, what happens? The Leafs don't resign him. Does any NHL team want to take a, a chance on the guy? And if you and if they do, are you, are we talking league minimum deal? Like, uh, so it, it's interesting. He credits his, his the conversation with his dad a lot. He, he basically said, "You need to grow up. You need to fight for your your career, for your family. You gotta." I mean, it, you know, he didn't say it, but you gotta play well to earn some money and and survive as as a goaltender. Do you want this? And he started putting in a lot of work. Um, you know, I, I wondered if it was a little bit performative, but uh, when he was got recalled and had not had yet to start, Martin Jones was still starting on Long Island. He went out so far ahead of the other guys um, for practice that morning and stayed so on stayed on the ice way longer than all the rest of the players. And I wondered if it was a bit of a sh- like you're ha- you're a little bit skeptical. Like, is this just a show? Hey, I'm working. Mm-hmm. But he has been putting in a ton of work behind the scenes when you talk to his teammates. And I really believe that, that he is really trying his best mentally and in terms of putting in the work behind the scenes to try and save his career right now. I hate that I'm saying this right now because there's a, mil- well, there's a million reasons I hate that I'm saying it. But that is a, that's a movie. If he turns yeah. this into something, <laughs> is that it? Lee fans are getting chills thinking about that. I, I'm picturing the scene of his father landing and it just being quiet between the two of them for days, right? He's down <laughs> in the dumps. And then all of a sudden, everybody's in bed. And then his dad pours the vodka, right? <laughs> he's at the table and he looks at him and he's just, and his back is turned and Samsonov's sitting at the table. He's not really, and he just says, Do you want this? He's like, huh? <laughs> I said, do you want this? And then he turns and he gives him the heart to heart. And then all of a sudden Samsonov is in the gym and he's working out and you get the Rocky montage scene. I can see it. I can see it. I can picture it. I believe in it. And this is a, this is a toxic part of my personality as a, as someone who has something emotionally invested in the Toronto Maple Leafs. But yeah, dude, it's hard not to think about what happens if he's actually really good in the net. And, and I've been pointing it out, but he sucked last March, and then his April was phenomenal. It's never this bad. He's been an up-and-down ride throughout his career. But if he can somewhat sustain this, if, if, he can, if he can perform the way that he did last night and not, like, let in no goals, but look that way, look calm in the net, track the puck that way, yeah, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that he changes the entire complexion of this Leafs season, which is wild to think considering, like, that's, that's the thing I think you're pointing to of a guy being this unplayable to turning into what looks like that, the degree of separation between that play. 100%. It's, it's really wild. I, I can't recall an instance where I've seen such a dramatic flip, and I, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, sure. right? Like, it's, all, it's only three starts, and like you said, this is this is an erratic goalie. Yes, uh, you know I talked to a lot of people in Washington, and they were not that sad to see him go because, you know, he's dropping his stick or he gives up the un- untimely goal, and and it, they had seen enough. But maybe the maturity is, has set in. Maybe this was enough of a shock to the system that we do see him get on a bit of a run. And and you know it's a human story. Like you kind of root for it, like you were saying. Of course you do. That mo- that movie has. Aspect to it. The other thing I would say is the Leafs are are really lucky. Like Joseph, when uh, injury strikes Joseph Wall, Martin Jones, which was you know arguably Brad Living's best move. Um, I'm a Simone Benoit fan too. Same. So, but uh, uh, Martin Jones comes in and really timely that he goes on a run. And then as soon as Martin Jones starts to falter, Samsonov finds himself. Like the timing of of these 
passing the baton of the hot goalie has really saved the league season. Totally. 100%. And again, we have to keep prefacing this because people are probably losing their minds going, this guy got hot for a couple of games and you guys are doing this really. But yeah, we get it. We understand it. But to me, I'm not trying to make light of his mental situation here at all. But yeah, he is, he's 26 years old, right? And there have been times where he really wears it. And we've gone, you know, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to do this job, but that is one of the components you need to have, right? You need to be strong psychologically to deal with the ups and downs. Every pro athlete, when they say you need to burn the tape or you need to have a short memory, right? That's saying you need to be mentally strong. You need to be able to, to forget the failures, remember that you're someone who's successful and move forward. And maybe part of this, you're right, is just going to be maturity. Maybe it is a pump-up call from your father going, hey, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You, you can't feel sorry for yourself at all because if you continue to do it this way, you're going to lose everything from a career standpoint. And so who knows? But there is, I think, a little bit of reason to be optimistic about something like that when you do have a guy that's that talented, that can look that way, that moves his pads that way, that can get across his net with that kind of explosion that is that size... Hard not to be a little optimistic when you're looking at it. And, and here's the other part for me what, that I was thinking about with the, the going away part of it is I had Carter Hutton on yesterday and he, it was a throwaway line, but we were talking about the Leafs goaltending and we were talking about just the Leafs as an organization and him being there. And he mentioned there's so many cooks in the kitchen. And I wonder if so much of this for Samsonov just being able to go away is not having to sit down with 18 different staff members and different coaches evaluating and nitpicking his game and just him being able to step away from all that and not have that part of it exhausting him as well. And, and going, yep, I need to focus on what I need to focus on. Usually your best coach can be yourself sometimes in these situations. So, yeah, I, I, I wonder if that had an impact as well. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't doubt it. And, and the Leafs do have the most cooks in the kitchen of, of any team in the league. But one of the things you said there, forgetting your failures, uh, I would expand that. And now he's taken on the mindset of forgetting his successes. So after the, the cracking game, you know, he had that amazing mm. save in the, in the third period, the, cro- the cross crease one that, you know, at that point, it, it's a, it's a one goal game. They need that save. And he was asked about it, and he basically said, oh, I, I've forgotten about it. I'm thinking about the next save. He didn't even want to rehash uh, his good play. And that's something that's never happened before with him. Like, usually he's been happy to, to go through the details of the game. Like, he's very amenable with us, uh, the reporters post game. Mm-hmm. But he's basically like, you know, that was great, but I got to think about the next game. That was, and, and, he, and I'm sure someone has drilled that into him. But uh, he's developed this new mantra of staying in the moment and always thinking about the next save. And well, time will tell if he can keep that up. I mean, sure. he's an emotional he's an emotional guy, and and I think that's what you know a lot of people love about him is he is kind of wears his heart on his sleeve a little bit. Like even after last game, he said, "I didn't want it to go over to overtime." So four of his five previous losses went to overtime, and you know not all his fault but they lost those games in overtime mm. um so he was kind of he said i was feeling a little bit shaky about it going to overtime and especially in a zero zero game with both both goalies got shutouts on the line um so you, you love that about him but it, he is trying to change his his mindset in, into not dwelling on what's happened in the past good or bad so that that's going to be it to me moving forward here is anybody can go to the gym for the first month when it's New Year's resolution time. 
but what gets you really in shape? Consistency, right? You have to stay mature with the diet. You have to stay mature with the timing of it. You got to try to keep improving on it. And that's going to be the thing for me now with Samsonov is hearing from you say, hey, this guy was showing up early and putting the work in. He had a different approach. He's talking about his game differently. He's treating his past successes differently. He's trying to be more mature. Uh, okay, that's good in a stint, right? That's a great thing mm-hmm. to have. If you can continuously apply these things moving forward, I think that's how you actually enact change. That's how you'll really truly inspire confidence in this fan base. Um, okay, so going back to the notebook, it said it's still a ways away from Wool getting a start with the Maple Leafs. Um, is your read that this is just an overly cautious situation? What do you make of the timeline here? You see a guy on the ice. It's hard not to wonder how far away he is from actually just being able to see a, uh, you know, a puck in a, in a game. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's overly cautious. I think it's properly cautious mm. because of the nature of the injury and the nature of the position. Uh, you know, I think maybe some casual observers would be like, okay, he's got a high ankle sprain. Well, Timothy Lilligren had a high ankle sprain and, and he was back around now and he's playing every, every night, but goal uh, goalies. I mean, you, you, you're a goalie, like the way a goalie uses his ankle is a little bit different and the time of the season, right? You don't want him to come back too early, re-injure his ankle. And then all of a sudden Samson off and Jones is, is your tandem going into the playoffs that like, you know, as as great as the the last two games have been for Samsonov, and as great as Jones was in a stretch, they still, you know, believe Wolves the guy. So they're being. I think I think it's smart, and I think the fact that they're keeping their head above water, gathering points here, has has helped them buy some time. So basically, Wool has been back on the ice. He went on the trip with them, but he, it's all solo work with goalie coach Curtis Sanford. He hasn't even participated in a full Maple Leafs practice yet. The plan and the hope is that, and that will continue through this weekend, the plan and the hope is that after the bye week, after the All-Star break, Joseph Wall doesn't get to fly away to Cabo like some of the guys, right? He's going to stay in Toronto, continue his rehab, continue his work with Sanford, try to build that, that ankle up. And then the hope is that he can get into a full team practice when they uh, return from the, the all-star break, but they're not going to put him into game action right away. Uh, and they're going to see how the, that goes in, in practice for a while. Um, so we're still weeks away. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cause the, the original timeline, you're right. I was working off the Lilligren thing and having the all-star break. Yeah. I did kind of assume, all right. Yeah. Islanders, February 5th. That's what you've got circled. And yeah, maybe we're going to wait a little while longer than that. Okay. But when he does return and again, I know this should just be called the, we're getting our head of ourselves block with Luke. I thought it was going to be Maple Leafs notebook, but it's just, it's uh, everything is just way getting ahead of ourselves. When he does return, they have the cap space, no problem to carry three goaltenders. But do you think that they'll do that because there, there's a roster crunch implication, but then there is also a psychological implication in a, in a playing time implication with all three of these guys. Yeah. I, I think we got to reassess at that point. Yeah. What are there other injuries? What's their cap situation look like? Is there a trade by then? Like we're talking weeks away. Yeah. So when, that, when that's Wolf's the main ready. one is the, the trade, the trade quotient to me. Yeah. So what's their cap picture look at that time? Yeah. But if, if if there's no trade, if no injuries, they they have the capability to carry three. At this point, you wonder if Jones would clear waivers again. I don't think so. Um, 
I think Samsonov would, despite his strong play, just because his cap hit is, is so high. Mm-hmm. And any team that, that would want him would probably be a contending team. And the, and the contending teams are all pressed to the cap, too. They can't just pick, pick up $3.5 million um, in the sound of a finger and add it to their, their cap picture. Everyone's tight. So I would imagine he would clear, but do you want to do that to him again? So uh, I think we just got to let it play out. They have the capability to carry three goalies for a while. A bunch of teams have already done it this season, so it's it's far from unprecedented. It's not ideal, though. Goalies don't really like being part of a a three-headed crease. That's what I mean. Uh, um, But let's let it play out a little bit and see what their cap picture looks at that time. Fine. Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I actually had this, well, before the last night, Samsonov game, I was in the same thought process as you, where I was like, man, you kind of would have to just send Samsonov down, but then you really are hurting his cause. Then he's going, man, what do I got to do? Right. And so you're valuing Martin Jones more than you're valuing me. Then I also started to wonder if it's, if this move was allowed, because you said how the contender couldn't get Samsonov. But couldn't a team that has cap space grab him off of waivers? He's only, it's an expiring deal. And then offer him in a trade where you're saying, we'll take a ton of retention on this guy. You can get a, a goaltender that's a lottery ticket in your net and we'll retain everything but give us an actual piece. Like, is that even legal? Is that allowed? Yeah, I mean, once, so, you, once you own the contract, I mean. sure. Yeah, so yeah. I, I started to get really creative well, like that, going, I wonder if someone would have that foresight if that could end up being a, a thing that happens. Or if why more teams, or, or if that's going to actually become something in the future when we see these types of deals waived. I think you would have to carry the three guys. But like you said, I, I don't love the idea of having all the dudes in the room. And the problem for me, and maybe this would just be another test of Samsonov's maturity and proving that he is somebody else. But I hate the idea of a guy who's struggled with confidence, who's trying to find himself, looking, seeing the stall next to him, and it's the... It's the guy from the past. It's the looming threat of if you have one bad start, this guy might be in the net and you might be back down in the AHL. Yeah, but I, I'm kind of of the mind that things are going to get uncomfortable. Things are going to yeah. get pressure packed. Like, you got to push through it. Like, you know, the idea is to go multiple rounds. Yep. There's going to be uncomfortable moments. So if you can't handle the fact that there's pressure, there's always going to be pressure in the NHL. There's always someone that wants your job. Like, you have to push through that, and if you're not, then, you know. No, I get not, it. You're not cut, cut out for it. Totally, right? totally agree, totally agree. Um, okay, so speaking of uncomfortable, Giordano sat again, uh, didn't get to f- face his former team, the Kraken, but that was fine. It was back-to-back. This one was a little <laughs> different. And now we're going to head into Saturday night. I feel like Connor Timmons performed pretty well, and I, I don't think that there's a play justification to put Giordano back in the net. What are, what are we looking at here with his, yeah, playing time, his future with the Maple Leafs? Yeah, it is interesting. Like, it was one thing for him to sit consecutive back-to-backs because he just said, hey, he's the oldest guy in the league. That's a lot on consecutive nights. But last night was telling because you kind of assumed, okay, it's not a back-to-back. You've had a bunch of nights rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going he's gonna to go back in. And Keith says, no, I'm going to stick with, with Timmons. And Timmons even, you know, ha- showed some edge, but he also got fined for, for a pretty reckless play in that, in that cracking game. Yeah, really dangerous um, so I, 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 was, I was a little surprised. Um, now, you, you ask Keith about it, and basically he says two things. He says, one, uh, Gio's given us everything we got 
You know, he's leaving it all out there. And then he says, we want some some more balance, some lefty-righty balance in our lineup. And Timmons is the only right shot they, they got. Brody's already playing his offside. Um, you know, he, he, want, he wanted to get Jake McCabe some time on his proper left side. So he throws Timmons in. Um, and I, I think, you know, that idea of having lefty-righty balance is really secondary to him seeing Gio hitting a, a bit of a wall. And he was overused last year. It affected his performance in the playoffs. Um, I, I believe, and probably a lot of people would agree with me, that he, you know, he wasn't uh, at peak form by the time the playoffs rolled around. And I think we're starting to see it a little bit. Now, the tricky part is, this is a, a proud guy, um, former Norris winner, mo- arguably one of the most respected and beloved guys in that room. I mean, he's just a gem of a, a human being yeah. and has had a fantastic story, fantastic career. And he's saying, Oh, I have plenty of rest. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And he's saying it politely, but he said, remember I had a whole month off to rest when I blocked a shot and broke my thumb. Mm-hmm. So he's in his mind, he's ready to go. He's a competitor. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this, this plays out. Um, so I, I would say Timmons is on a short leash, but he's the younger guy. Let's give him some run and see what happens. But it is something that to keep an eye on to see how this, this plays out because Gio wants back in. Yeah. Okay. So when I've asked Mark Giordano's former teammates to tell me about him, one thing always came back, loves to play. Yeah. So that's not good. Like, I don't think this is a, it's totally fine. I'll sit. <laughs> he's, he's pretty, yeah. Him saying to you, I, I can play. I had rest. He, he wants to, that's, that's about as, uh, ornery as I think that he'll be in terms of getting in the media and saying that he, he wants to get back in. But to me, it's not even so much the Connor Timmons part of it. It's this team. If there's one priority for them still seemingly anyways, from an outsider's perspective, it's adding depth on the blue line. And when you're just watching it go this way, if you can lose ice to Connor Timmons, well, that might all of a sudden put you as the team's seventh defenseman, regardless of what they think about Connor moving forward, right? Like his, his job is, to me, very, very, very much in peril. And, and I, I'm guessing that he's got to be thinking about that pretty heavily. And then if that does happen, yeah, what does that do to a room considering that he is one of their leaders? He is one of their heart and soul guys. So, yeah, that, it's, it's going to be curious what happens here. And it also is timed with the coach doing other hard-ass things, right? Benched his stars last night, taking Mark Giordano out of the lineup. He's bumping up Nick Robertson to get more minutes. He's calling guys out in the media. Are, you're around the team every day. Are, are we making a bigger deal of all of this on the outside? Are you noticing a shift in Keefe's demeanor, approach? How, how are you seeing Sheldon Keefe now versus the Sheldon Keefe that we've been accustomed to? Oh, there's a shift. It's like, you know how the, the Leafs couldn't win a board battle last night? I felt like if Sheldon Keefe was on the ice, he would be winning those board battles. Like, he, yeah. he is grinding. He is grinding as, a, as any coach can. His, like, honestly, this guy wants to win. I respect his work ethic. I don't always, uh, you know, when I, when I think about him, I'm, I, I, do have, I do question if he is the guy to push this team over the top but I never question his worth at ethic or desire to win or, you know, how much he obsesses over trying to find the right combinations and, and trying to get the most out of this team. And I think it's very significant 
the fact that he benched that top power play unit. For one, they deserved it. Like that was that's an embarrassing play. A two on O shorthanded, that never happens. And why does it happen? It's because they stayed out too long because they want to get the power play back on track or they want to get their points or whatever. And then both the guys go off when the other team has possession and they're rushing the other way. Matthews and Marner go off. Nylander has a, has a soft play to, to turn it over. And why do they do that? Because they're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to stay out and take the whole two minutes when you're humming and you're generating chances and it's like, oh, my gosh, this, this power play is going to score. Like when You just feel it in the building. But that's not what it felt like. Mm-hmm. So they, they exhaust themselves and they, you know, they almost gave the game away were it not for Samsoff making that save, two saves. So I, he's not, I can't recall a time where he's done that, where he, he basically benched them for a while, sat them the whole uh, next power play, then started the second unit on the power play after that, and then finally said, okay, I, I think I delivered my message. I'll throw those guys out there. And he basically said, you know, we made a mistake, and, and those guys, to their credit, Matthews owned it after the game, so yeah. that can't happen. That's on us. Maher, you know, changed his tune a little bit and said, you know, we, we got to be better. We will be better. Like, they, they owned it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, message sent. He didn't make a big deal about it post-game. You know, he, he kind of couched it in terms of, hey, those guys carry the mail for us. Matthews gets the game winner. They're, you know, it's behind us. It's been dealt with. What hasn't been dealt with, though, is the fact that the power play is in a really deep funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should have won that, that game on special teams. They got five power play chances to Winnipeg's two. Uh, they had four in a row to start the game. Like, you, you got to put that game away. If, if, you're, if supposedly that's your identity, is this dangerous power play team loaded with superstars, you got to put that game away before uh, it even gets to that point. So the power play needs a shakeup, um, or, or they just need to wake up. But it's been it's been dreadful for uh, for a couple weeks now. We used to say that the Leafs' power play was their enforcer. Yeah, yeah. That feels foolish right now. Winnipeg is not just without Hellebuck last night. You know they're out without multiple players, but they were they're the twenty third ranked penalty kill in the NHL with Connor Hellebuck in net, and that's the performance that the Leafs put together with four straight power plays and playing a sixth of the game on the on the power play. So yeah, that that was dreadful last night and I think some of it is the way that they try to enter the zone and that's based off of you know watching every game and also speaking with other people who know something about it Uh, I thought that they changed their approach somewhat which helped them as the game went on which was just a little bit more north but yeah I think at this point it's pretty clear they're going to have to try some different personnel because yeah one for your last 20 is it's just it's not going to work when this is the the way that you've built your hockey team around uh yeah the most expensive power play in the nhl so (laughs) i I don't know i think it's got to happen as soon as saturday night and these guys are at the all-star game it's in town but that that's got to be one of the main focuses of this group when they're when they're moving forward here uh last one so robertson gets bumped up uh you wrote about him again in your notebook Sheldon Keefe called him Spark. He's the guy that he's glowing about right now all of a sudden, uh, which is nice. And, and he played amazing last night. What, what happens again, though, when they've, they've got to make some of these roster decisions and Bertuzzi comes back and he, he can actually play in a hockey game? Because I think Robertson, it's very, very clear that he's going to stay in there on Saturday night. 
but how much does he stay in there moving forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question, and it, it's one I don't have a definitive answer to right now. But I think I, my suspicion is you just keep Bertuzzi at home, brand-new baby, you know, go ahead. Just, just We won without you. Robertson's flying right now. I wonder if they just leave the roster untouched for Saturday night. You can't take Robertson out. He just played uh, his most high ice time in his whole career. Mm-hmm. The only guy who had more shots, only Leaf who had more shots than him last night was John Tavares, who had seven and just still extends his, his career-long point route. The guy just, just can't put the puck in the net. But Robertson was, was buzzing. He was very noticeable, gets pumped up the lineup, which was a really smart move by Keith. Um, to notice that he was he had legs. He was one of the few guys mm-hmm. that was engaged in the game to actually promote him mid-game. I thought was a smart call on Keith's behalf. But you also have to, like for the culture of your team, you can't scratch a guy when he's going, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it sends the wrong message. You have to, uh, it has to be merit-based. You have to reward his strong performance. The trouble always with Robertson is, you know, do you take Bobby McMahon out uh, you can't put Robertson down on the fourth line. He's not a fourth liner. So uh, you're right. When Bertuzzi comes back up, the, the top six gets complicated. But uh, he's going now. He's going more than Nyes is going. He's, you know, I, I would keep him in. And if it means giving Nyes a breath, giving Holmberg a breath, someone, um, I think you do it. I don't think internal competition is a bad thing. It's and a great thing. If it, if it gives guys a slap in the face, it wakes them up and say, hey, maybe my lineup spot isn't secure because this guy's hungrier than me all of a sudden, then so be it. Um, but you, you got you got to keep rolling with them. He's been – one of the things I would say about Robertson, and so he's been through this before where he's been healthy scratched and stuff. He's taken it in a much more mature way this season. Uh, I've been really impressed by his demeanor because I, I talk to him regularly because he's one of the best talkers in the room, one of the most honest guys in the room. And the way he's approached being out of the lineup has been incredibly mature. Like, I thought he would be a little bit more ticked when Holmberg all of a sudden took his spot considering how many goals he's producing in how little lifetime he, he's gotten, Robertson. So uh, good on the kid. And I, 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 it's really nice to see because it's been a – it's been a struggle for him when you consider his injury history. Uh, so it's nice to ha- see him getting some respect from the coach because he could not get in Keith's good books for the longest time. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, maybe if there's a theme to all the guys that had successes last night, which is few and far between, but it was Sheldon Keith, Nick Robertson, uh, it was uh, Ilya Samsonov, and then I think to a lesser extent Timmons. It's, hey, these are the guys that were sort of playing free. <laughs> they were just letting yeah. it letting it hang out and all of them seemingly a little bit of a step maturity wise, at least on the ice last night. So we'll, again, we'll see if it continues, but yeah, these are, well, especially the two guys, Robertson and Samsonov. It's, it's a lot of people are rooting for them. And so I, I hope that it stays consistent and God knows the team absolutely needs it. Uh, Luke, thanks for the time as always, buddy. Lots of great stuff today. Okay. Thanks for having me, JD. Have Cheers, a good you too. Okay. Uh, here's what I would do. I take knives out. I would take Nyes out, I'd put Nick Robertson up on the top line, and I'd really roll it and really reward it. Um, It sounds a little crazy, sounds a little different, but, and by the way, this is with the assumption that Bertuzzi is back. 
Because I, I would do one of two things. I would either put Robertson on the second line with Tavares and hope that his energy, his shot gives them a little bit of a spark. I also think that because of his foot speed, he's going to look all like he's not going to look completely out of place on the Tavares line with Nylander. Maybe Nylander sets him up, but just it's a, it's a great place for him to continue trying to get points and prove whether or not he can play up the lineup. Because I think we now have a pretty concrete track record that Nick Robertson playing on your fourth line is an issue. Playing with guys without talent is, is, is just not going to work. And you've got an opportunity where he's going well that you, you take a peek at it. And frankly, I don't, I don't want to make this seem as though it's a, a huge criticism of Matthew Nyes. No, when I did Leafs talk last week with Anthony Petrelli, he made the point of this guy skipped the AHL, didn't get that development. Has he played horrifically? No, I don't think that Nye's dreadful, awful. He's making some mistakes out there. He doesn't look great out there. But to me, this is actually a play about... Matthew Nye's is a part of this team's future. He knows that he's a part of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Remove the guy that is sure he'll be back or should, be, should feel completely confident that he will be back. Let him go down to the AHL for a little bit, play some games, rebuild his confidence. Or if it isn't a confidence issue, whatever. Just let him play somewhere where he can be more of an impact every single night. Try the Bertuzzi-Robertson thing for at least just a couple of games. Again, you don't need to set this in stone. I know they like having the guys around the team or whatever, but... mm. I would like it if they showed some of the other guys, instead of taking out a McMahon, instead of taking out a Gregor, because Luke mentioned Holmberg. I don't think that's even an option at this point. Holmberg has been great. He's, he's playing his ass off. So you're keeping him in the lineup. But what do these guys have in common? And what have we talked about at nauseum some with times with this team is the mercenary stuff, the lack of feeling of belonging, the lack of feeling like if I'll, I'll tell you this, if you're working somewhere and you don't think that what you do matters, you become apathetic. If you feel like no matter what kind of a job you do, how hard you work, how good you are at that job, it's not going to be seen because the manager or whoever plays favorites and still prioritizes other things. You you lose some focus. You lose some drive. You lose buy-in. And so I'd like to see them really reward Robertson for these last couple of games. I know it's not much, but it's something. And it's been during a time when there hasn't been a lot going well for this team. And if you're talking about power play as well, give them some time there. Give them a look there. We've seen the shot. It's great. He's got, he's got more goals than Bertuzzi. It's been made. He's got more goals than Domi. I was advocating for Domi to go up to the top line. I, don't, I didn't see a lot of pushback from that. So why not give the kid a chance? Why not see what he can do up there? And then let Nyes take some development. The problem is, and I, I will admit to this, that Matthew Nyes is in a difficult position because here it will be a bigger deal. It would be a bigger deal in the media and amongst the fan base than any other normal rookie that just gets sent down during uh, a bit of a struggle during a contention year. It just will. It'll, it'll eat up a lot of airtime and people, how much does this do that, blah, 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 blah. And I don't think that they want that, especially for a piece that's really important for their future. I don't, and he shouldn't feel embarrassed. That's not an embarrassing thing. He's played no games. He was a college hockey player who jumped into the playoffs last year with a ton of burst and had been just playing the most important hockey of his life. 
And now this year, he's played 40-plus games, the NHL level against grown-ass men, in a role where he's supposed to be a checking forward that goes in the corners and digs pucks out and relentlessly forechecks for Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And I, if a break could do Ilya Samsonov some good, I think a break from the pressures of his role could do that kid some good too. Anyway, just food for thought. Quick break. Let's come back. And speaking of uh, youth, Boba Shett, he doesn't, he, he doesn't want to be called a youngin' anymore. He was on Blair and Barker. I'm going to play some of that interview. And yeah, I, I loved it. We'll react to it. Next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I mean, it's pretty clear by every metric, and if you listen to it, that Blair and Barker now have the destination podcast radio show when it comes to Blue Jays and baseball in this country. And you saw that yesterday. They had Bo Bichette on, and he was really candid with them. And Bo, Bo is a guy who's been honest about some things with the media in the past, but it's not, he's not always just like this most forward facing guy. And so it was really cool to see him on that show. Uh, he had a couple quotes that really stood out to me. One, I think I'm only going to play the other. I think I'll just do my classic paraphrasing instead of actually just quoted exactly, but let's play that first snippet. I think, I think this was really telling about where the Jays are at and where Boba Shett's at and his feelings about this group, uh, here he is with Blair and Barker yesterday. Subscribe and review. Definitely. I mean, I think it's up to us whether that window is closing or not. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're not a young team anymore. The whole excuses of, you know, growing and learning and all that, that's out the window. It's time to, it's time to be grown. I think we've <laughs> been through enough experience at this point. So, um, not to say that what we've gone through isn't great experience, but I think, um, you know, saying we're learning, saying we're going, that kind of stuff, like, I think that's over and it's time to get it done. We've talked a lot about how good we are. We've said, you know, things like that plenty of times from a team, from the team as a whole or individuals um, separately, but it's just time to, you know, put the work in and see what we're capable of. I love that. So he did go on to say in the interview, that he shared some thoughts on Shohei, but he also shared some thoughts on who he would target in free agency. And he mentioned J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner by name. So, hmm. It's especially interesting because one of those guys plays third base <laughs> and could be a, pro- a replacement for one of his former teammates. But anyway, that, who cares? The DH part of it with J.D. Martinez is a whatever. But he's clearly looking for some guys that have played in big time markets who are long time and established veterans in the league. And I'm pairing that with that quote that he just gave them there. One, if Boba Shed is saying it, then all of us should be treating it that way. It, it, maybe this is a bit of a straw man, given that they're almost out of time with Vladdy and Bo, but yeah, the the young stuff, the developing player, the, hey, give it some time, it, that's gone for me with both Vladdy and Bo. I, I get it. If they're entering the business world, you would treat them as though they're very young. Look how I treat Armin. He's older than them. But they are, so in, in any other walk of life, they're, they're children, honestly. In the professional baseball world, they're fully grown. This is, this is going to be the time where they are 
evaluated, criticized, whatever, the most. I love Bobochet's demeanor. I love the approach here. And I view it personally, and I don't know if this is the way that he meant it. I don't know if this is the way that everybody else interprets it. But I kind of view it as a call to action for the rest of the team to get their stuff together. I didn't want to use the word stuff. I really didn't. I really didn't. Felt horrible using it, actually. Not going to lie. Does anybody really question Bobochet's work ethic? The, the first story that I heard about Bobochet was also from Jeff Blair about him at spring training when he was a rookie, about him blowing the doors off everybody in terms of how hard he worked, how professional his approach was. I think that's pretty much been consistent with Bobochet's career. Can you think about some base running errors on him? Yeah. Has he had fielding errors? Do you think that those are usually ones where he's pressing or being immature? No, not really. Guy is a pro. He was raised in the clubhouse. Has that, he has that tennis player to him, that individual thing, right? But uh, I, I don't think he's speaking for himself there. I think he's speaking for the guys around him. And he's saying enough's enough. I'm the, I'm the leader of this team. I'm not the face of this franchise in the same way that Vladdy is. I'm not going to get as many headlines as Vladdy if it's going well. I'm not going to get as many headlines if I'm struggling compared to if Vladdy's struggling. But I think he's saying to the rest of that clubhouse, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop with this stuff. Everybody get in line. Everybody fall in line. Let's bring another vet in here and let's get going. Let's, let's cook. So take it how you want to take it. That's the way I'm doing it. Quick break. Let's come back. The NFL has NFL had a sneaky, massive day yesterday. Tons of hiring was all of a sudden happening. Maybe the floodgates are opening. Maybe it's still going to take some time. We're just waiting for the Lions. Judy Batista of NFL.com and NFL Network next. Judy Batista, columnist for NFL.com, reporter insider for NFL Network. Good morning. Thanks for doing this. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well. I am doing well. I will be. I'll be candid. I'll be less well if the second interview with Dan Quinn with the Seahawks goes well. <laughs> and that if that's the decision that they decide to make after deciding that they were going to go in a different direction. But that's a that's another thing. I got I to gotta start with this, though. Yesterday felt like the first day I'd heard Mike Vrabel's name in weeks. And I know, like, there's yeah. some Harbaugh stuff to get to. But now he's interviewing with the Panthers. Ian Rappaport, your colleague, reporting that just a few seconds ago. He's had his interview with the Falcons who love putting out the social post when someone's come through the building, <laughs> that's their staple. If someone's there, the Falcons are going to let you know about it. They're doing your job. They're doing your job. They're doing other insiders' jobs. But why, why has it been so quiet around Vrabel? He, when he was fired, it felt like, hey, this is going to be the bell of the ball. And now it kind of feels like I, I've, I've not gotten the sense that there's a guaranteed job for him. Uh, I would agree, and I've, I've discussed it with my colleagues actually over the last however many days it's been since he left the Titans, um, a week or ten days, that it's it was quieter than we expected. Uh, sort of the same thing for Belichick, right? Quieter than we expected. Um, I do think now Rabel is getting you know some some interviews. I agree. Like when I look at the landscape now, we've got four jobs filled, um, you know, more to go. I'm not sure there's a guaranteed job there, um, which is kind of surprising because he is certainly well regarded around the league. He's well regarded by league officials. Like he's, you know, he's involved with a competition committee. I mean, he's considered a really bright 
young coach. So I'll be surprised um, if there's not a job for him, you know, when all the seats are filled. Uh, But I would suspect even if he takes a year off, then he would Mm -hmm. be, you know, a prime, prime candidate for next year. Yeah. Is is there something that you're hearing as to why it's gone this way for him, though? Because, again, there's so there's so few guys that you feel like are real culture setters and he seems to be one of them. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I think part of what's happening to the cycle in general is there are some really big names. I mean, obviously, Harbaugh is, yeah. was a big one. You know, Belichick is a big one. Pete Carroll was a bit like there's big names there. And so I think we are we sort of focus more on them and what might happen there. And the other thing is, you know, Vrabel, as well regarded as he is, comes from a defensive background and you know, did not have a great offense in Tennessee, which Mm -hmm. is part of what was his undoing. You know, and when you look at the NFL, right, like the overwhelming majority of hires in the last, you know, however many years it's been, five, ten years, are coming from the offensive side of the ball, right? They want young offensive coaches, um, and especially if you're a team that's got a young quarterback or is going to draft a young quarterback, you want a young offensive coach who can, you know, molds that quarterback and grow with that quarterback. And despite the, you know, incredible success of D'Amico Ryans, who obviously just blew everybody away this year, um, despite that and despite, you know, we see Gerard Mayo getting the job in New England and Antonio Pierce getting the job at the Raiders, I still think for most teams they want um, they want a, a an offensive guy to pair with a young quarterback. I think that's probably what we're going to see in Washington. I'd be really surprised if they don't, hire somebody from an offensive background. So I think that's a little bit of the issue um, for Vrabel too. Um, But I agree. It's curious. And I will be surprised if there's no job for him. Yeah. um, And we're seeing that come like, again, play out these playoffs, right? Is chiefs best defense they've ever had. And yeah, the bills marched on them for most of the game. And yes, did it show up where there's some opportunistic moments? Absolutely. There were, but yeah, it does. It just does feel continuously every year we do this thing where defense in the regular season. Now we're getting to the postseason. And you're like, yep, no, you really want to have the offense. You really want to have the offensive mind. So I, I do wonder how yeah. much Ben Johnson is holding these things up. But yeah, I really didn't think that uh, yeah. that Vrabel was going to be going this way. And yeah, you're you're right. I'm guessing that it's going to be a lot to do with the fact that he's a defensive coach, and that I think I saw a stat right after his firing that. Since the A.J. Brown trade, he had like the 27th rated offense in all of football, mm-hmm. which is, uh, yeah, pretty tough. <laughs> pretty tough. They haven't had a top. I saw a stat. I can't now. I'm trying to remember what year it was, but they haven't had a top 10 offense or yeah. top 10 passing offense maybe yeah. since something like 2005. I mean, you... it's crazy, right? <laughs> crazy. So, yeah. you know, that's a problem. Um, yeah. And certainly he's being asked about that in his interviews. Okay, so the Falcons one, though, is of particular interest, though, because now it kind of feels like this might end up being the landing spot for one of these two guys, Belichick and his disciple. But how much of the Falcons head coaching hires being held up because of the field versus internal debates over Belichick's power as a potential coach there? (laughs) Well, listen, that is what's always going to be a factor no matter where Belichick interviewed is, you know, what's going to be the structure of the organization. He has done things one way for a very long time with a tremendous amount of success in New England. The question is, um, is the organization willing to do it that way, which means putting all the power, you know, in Belichick's office that he would have control over personnel and be the coach, 
or is Belichick willing to perhaps give up some of that control on the personnel side? Because frankly, that was his undoing in New England. He, he was still coaching well. The defense was still playing great. Like the players were still playing hard for him. But the personnel decisions, you know, over a number of years and the drafts uh, and some of the free agent signings just were not good. And that was the problem. Um, so that was always going to be a question no matter where he interviewed. And in Atlanta, they have, um, you know, a different structure. They have a general manager, Terry Fontenot, who they like a lot. Right. They have a team president in Rich McKay who has a lot of sway. And so, you know, you saw the interview with Bill Belichick. The first one was with Arthur Blank, the owner only, just the two of them. And then the second interview had Terry Fontenot and Rich McKay and I believe probably some other executives in there, too. And so you have to think that conversation, the first one with Arthur Blank is, you know, what would you be comfortable with? Right. Like what what would the franchise be comfortable with? What would Belichick be comfortable with? Can they meet somewhere? And then, you know, I think there uh, I I think there's probably a question of how much longer is Bill Belichick going to do this? Right. Mm -hmm. Like and what does he have left? And it's strangely, it's sort of the same conversation we saw happening when Tom Brady became a true free agent. Right. Like how much longer is he going to play? At what level can he play? Now, obviously, in hindsight, I'm sure there's a whole lot of teams who wish they had gone after Tom Brady. But at the time, he only had like two offers, you know, one or two teams sniffing around. Mm. And so I I wonder if that's what's happening to to Belichick, too, is, you know, teams are like, well, these last few years in New England weren't good. Um, And is, you know, what kind of structure is he going to want? You know, right now it appears that if it's not Atlanta, that there's no job for him in this cycle, which would be shocking because yeah. the bottom line is this is the greatest coach in NFL history, and the idea that he doesn't have a job is just wild to me. Uh, but, you know, it could happen. Yeah, I, I got to say from an optic standpoint, it's really hard for my brain to process the idea that, um, you know, Anthony Pierce is going to have a job as a head coach and not Bill Belichick. Like interim head coaches are going to be in this league and not Bill Belichick. But yeah, that that's having said that, I think Antonio Pierce should be the head coach of the Raiders. Sure, sure, he can. From Belichick, I think Antonio Pierce should is the right guy for that job right now. I, sure, um, I, I just think it's it's when I'm looking at it and I'm saying, all right, you guys got hot, and Max Crosby said that he will quit. <laughs> He'll quit your team if it's not this guy. I do wonder if that went into the thought process. But yeah, just Bill Belichick, you got a chance to hire the greatest coach of all time. It does feel like a little bit of an overthink from these organizations. What I find so fascinating is that the team that is most looking into Belichick, they have uh, – what, what is McKay's job? The CEO, right, of the Falcons? Yes, like but, he's, you know, pr- sort of a president CEO. Right. He's in this incredible – I wonder if there's just a power struggle between this owner and this CEO because the, I read somewhere – I can't. I wish I could attribute the writer who, who wrote the piece on this, but McKay and Belichick have beef going back to when McKay was a part of the competition committee. <laughs> uh, they, these two guys do not get along. They're not guys that are going to see eye to eye, and that's what I – I wish we could have uh, a camera – in the room, I wish there was a Hard Knocks episode of seeing McKay interview Belichick and basically trying to feel him out as to whether or not the two of them could play ball together and Belichick treating that interview the way that he does, you know, a post-game press conference after a loss. Well, I think, uh, listen, I think uh, if Bill Belichick wants a job, he will, right, he'll, he'll make it work, right? They will make it work. And certainly if Arthur Blank wants Bill Belichick to have a job, 
they will all be told to make it work, right? I mean, Arthur Blank is the owner here. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think what's um, what's a fascinating thing about the, the about the Falcons situation is I, t- I happened to talk to Arthur Blank after uh, the Falcons beat the Bucks. I think back in October, and I happened to be talking to him after the game. And Arthur Blank brings up his age a lot, right? Like, and how much longer is he going to be doing this? He, he wants to win. He's in his 80s. So this is not necessarily a hire for the long term. He he wants to win. And I mean, if you want to win and win, you know, probably in a short period of time, Bill Belichick is probably a good person to target because he's going to change the culture of your franchise. He is going to make demands and, you know, he's, he's probably going to win. Um, the question is, again, the structure and are there people in the building saying to Arthur Blank, listen, should we go younger? We don't have a quarterback. Do we need to go with an offensive guy? Like, you know, th- those are the questions that have to be asked. Um, it's a it's a very strange situation because, you know, when, when Belichick and the Patriots parted ways, we all thought the same thing. Like, if this had happened a few years ago, there would have been 25 owners positioning themselves to talk to Bill Belichick, right? Like, this... This would have been a no-brainer. And a few bad seasons, um, you know, where it became clear that the personnel was was a big problem, you know, have really undermined it. And I think that has, at the same time it's happened that the trend in the league has been, again, toward young offensive coaches. And it's sort of like this perfect storm mm. where there's just not that many opportunities for Bill Belichick, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, I, I think, though, that this is one of the things where you look at when everyone's going in one direction, maybe try to be a little different, right? Mm-hmm. Try to go in a different direction. Yeah. And to me, it's it's a little bit what the Chargers have done here, which is they, they brought in someone who is going to help with the identity of their franchise and be a real culture setter. And, and I'm curious, you know, you, you said about it, cultural changes, cultural changes. What, what do you think the biggest impact of Harbaugh landing with the Chargers is? And, yeah, are you at all surprised by it, given what we heard for a very long time? Again, this is an outsider's position, but that this was an ownership group that was not going to break the bank for a coach. Uh, I think this is an ownership group that knew they had to... Uh, listen, that franchise is the second franchise in Los Angeles by quite a distance. Yeah. And I think they know they need to do something to get relevant. And they also know they have some really good players. That, like, I mean, they fired Tom Telesco, the general manager, but he hit on mostly first-rounders, right? But mm-hmm. they got a lot of talent on that roster, and it perennially underperformed. And you've, the most important person is Justin Herbert. You've got a young superstar quarterback, and you're wasting his years. You're wasting Khalil Mack. You're wasting... Derwin James, Joey Bosa, right, on and on and on. Um, Like, you've got to do something to turn that around, and you've got to do something to get back on the radar. And that's what what a Harbaugh hire does, aside from the fact that he's a turnaround. I mean, he wins everywhere. He has literally won Mm -hmm. everywhere that he has coached from the very beginning. In college, I mean, he won at Stanford, which absolutely nobody thought he was going to be able to do. He won at San Francisco. He had them inches from winning the Super Bowl in San Francisco. And obviously he just won the national championship. So he wins. I mean, they will win. They're going to win, period. And it's going to be very good for Justin Herbert, certainly. Um, and it, and I think the Spanos family knew they had to do something. Uh, they had to, you know, they had to take a big swing. And, and they landed the guy. Um, 
and you know he's going to change the Chargers. Like if I would be absolutely stunned if the Chargers don't win in very short order. So that's another coaching vacancy that is filled now, though, right? And mm-hmm. you said it. Yeah. It seems like okay, the Falcons maybe they're gonna go with one of these guys. That, but there's a there's a real scenario here that you know Ben Johnson and. Uh, like the the Ravens defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, like those two guys end up in a Super Bowl together. Now we're talking about more like weeks, weeks away from these guys being able to make a determination on whether they're going to be head coach. They're obviously two of the sexiest names that are out there, two different sides of the ball. How do, how do they impact the coaching market right now? Like, do, is it your sense that there are teams out there? You mentioned Washington saying, Hey, they're going young offensive guy. You'd think that they're one of the teams that's going to be making the push for Ben Johnson. Yeah. How, right. how does their, potential, you know, winning this weekend impact what we're going to see with the rest of the coaching market moving forward and the timelines on some of these jobs getting filled. Yeah, this is a perennial uh, question during the, you know, during every coaching cycle is the owners get impatient, you know, owners start to get nervous. Other people are making hires. Are you missing out on assisted coaches? Like they start to get panicky which is one argument for like that people have had this conversation about, should you not allow any interviews until after the Super Bowl, right. Or until at least after the conference championship games, Um, they haven't done it yet. They've tried to slow down the process a little bit with some rules, but there's no question that, you know, if the Lions advance to the Super Bowl, that is probably going to hold things up because I I think Ben Johnson is, is a prime candidate, um, especially in Washington. Um, you know, I, there there's teams. I forget which team is doing. I believe the Falcons are going to. Two teams are flying to Detroit to talk to both Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator. So obviously, if they advance, I mean, you're you know, it holds things up for another two weeks. Having said that, you know, like the the most important thing is to get the guy that you think is the right guy. So I mean, owners are just going to have to sit on their hands for another few weeks. That's just how it goes. And yes, it slows it slows things down. But you know, there that's they're they're really good coaches and that's why their teams are going far so you you know if you want them you're going to have to wait and it's a it's an annual question about are you then missing out on the best uh guys to build out a staff but i mean this is just how how it is and until the nfl addresses it if they ever address it it's going to continue to be this way Mm, yeah uh, well, when you're like, hey, younger offensive coaches, like, yeah, you get the, the sexiest guy out there. <laughs> so he's just right, right, he's right. really jamming up the works here for a lot of these other coaches. Okay, so time for this weekend. It's not, okay, it's good for the NFL ratings that Taylor Swift has become such a massive part of the conversation. But I don't know if it's good for the NFL that now we're just seeing conspiracy theorists come out of the woodwork. I, I'm guessing that that's not what they want to have. But they've really fed into it. Warren Sharp. Noted the other day on Twitter, I'm sure that you saw it, but that the NFL, they, they designated a official who over the last three seasons has officiated the lowest win rate for any home team in the NFL. 41% of the home teams have actually won these football games when being officiated by this crew. And I'm, I'd like to know just a little bit more of this. How does the NFL come to these determinations? Because we know about the scores for the officials and there's supposed to be some kind of accountability, but it's hard not to read into that one when you saw the ratings of the week before and then this officiating crew being named to this, to this Ravens chiefs game. Um, I don't, I honestly don't think that the league is looking at this and saying, we got to get the chiefs to advance. 
I don't don't believe that at all. Uh, I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to be the league MVP. I think they would be really happy with Lamar Jackson in the Super Bowl too. So, so I don't think it's that. Uh, they do the way they determine officiating assignments is they do grade them throughout the season, and then the best, the highest graded um, crews and referees, you know, get the get the postseason assignments, obviously, and then uh, ultimately the the Super Bowl assignment, which they just announced this week. So. Um, that's how they do it. I really doubt that they are looking at like, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure they know that the home teams, you know, how, how it works out. I can't imagine that they looked at that and said, boy, we really need the Chiefs to advance. I don't think they're doing it, but um, I, I, I just don't, I don't believe in that, but um you know, listen, I mean, the A, well, I mean, they're in great shape no matter who advances, frankly, yeah. out of either conference. Um, I'm, I, I'm curious. I would. I'm, it's a, it's an interesting question about who would be better out of the NFC. I'm not really sure what the answer is out of that because I think so many of us with our hearts want to see the Lions advance no because we're just like, oh my God, it's the Lions. Yes. Um, but but the Niners are just such a juggernaut and have so many superstar players that like, well, that would be really intriguing too. And they've been so close so many years. But um, but out of the AFC, I mean, look. Patrick Mahomes is the biggest star in the game. This is the same thing that happened when Tom Brady was playing, right? He's the biggest star in the game. But there's also, and I, I'm not saying I feel it, there's also Mahomes fatigue. There's Chiefs fatigue. That's a real thing. It happened with the Patriots where everybody was like, all right, this is old now. Like, we're sort of tired of them winning all the time. And again, Lamar Jackson's going to be the league MVP. He's never been in a Super Bowl. You know, I, I think there would be a big appetite. The other thing I think we've seen from the ratings this year is there's just an appetite for the NFL. Like this year has gone bananas with the ratings. And so I think they're probably in pretty good shape, whatever combination comes out of this weekend. I think I, I agree with everything you just said. All I will say is that the optics of it are not great. <laughs> the optics of that officiating crew getting it. If, if the chiefs do will go on and win this game, I'm always of the belief that with any of these leagues is you never want to have that be a story. And so I wish to a certain degree that there was some, because we hear about the officiating crew grades. We we're aware of at least that being the reason that this thing happens. I'm with you that I don't think that there's some greater conspiracy at play here. I think that the league would be fine with both, but do you think that, like, what is the level of transparency with how they grade these officiating crews? Like, is that something that you get as an, like as a reporter? No. Is that's just something no. that they keep no. between, behind lock and key, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't have the grades. Um, yeah. I no. I mean, that's certainly not something. Does anyone that we get the see, grades but... is what I'm asking. <laughs> like who gets the grades? Who's, who's doing the grading? I, the people in the league office who are in charge of officiating, I assume have the grades, but, um, and, and the officials themselves have the grades. But uh, no, I don't look. Do I wish there were greater transparency generally on officiating? I mean, yes, I think, you know, every time that there's a flare up with a bad call and you only get, you know, a pool reporter talks to one official, you know, do I wish there were more transparency there? Yes, of course. I wish there were more transparency, period. But um, having said that, again, I don't think that they are like, you know, writing the script back at Park Avenue and saying like, oof, we really need the Chiefs to get in here, so we got to get that crew on the game. Don't yeah, think that. I don't think there's a script. 
I don't think that, <laughs> if, if there There's was. Not a script. Yeah, I think it's Baker it, Mayfield and the Bucks would not have gone as far as they did if yeah. they were stepped, let's put it that way. Well, I just for me the the easiest one with all conspiracy theories is how many people would need to keep the secret, and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think that yeah. this, this Aaron Rodgers would not have gotten hurt four snaps into the season if there were a script. Yeah, we would have gotten him breaking yeah. it on McAfee. There's absolutely no doubt yeah. about it. Uh, okay, last one for yeah. me. What have you heard on Debo Samuel's shoulder? Because it does feel like this is. Like when we watched the Niners offense without him, I know we made a lot about the rain and I, you know, I have Brady Quinn on here every week and he was talking about Brock Purdy's hand size, but yeah, where, where are we at with Debo Samuel's ability to play this weekend? So yesterday, uh, obviously we don't have anything yet today because it's early, but uh, yesterday he was working on the side. He did not participate in the team part of the practice, but he was working on the side, which was actually hopeful. Um, he, you know, he didn't take part in practice and Kyle Shanahan said like, it hurts. Obviously the good news it's not broken, right? There's not, there's not a break there. So that's positive, obviously. I mean, I have to think that he will do, they will do everything they can um, to get him out there. He's mm-hmm. clearly not going to be 100%, but um, I would say some Debo is better than no Debo because the difference in that offense when he plays, I mean, look, when they were in their slump in October and they lost three in a row, that's when he was hurt. Right? He got hurt in the game against Cleveland. They lost the game. He got hurt early in that game. They lost that game. And then he missed the next two games, and they lost those two games. The, the level of production from that offense, I believe they score on average almost two full touchdowns less when Debo does not play. So it's dramatic. Um, I thought it was a positive sign that he was working on the side yesterday. You know, it, today's Thursday. We'll see what he does Um you know, I my guess is that like he'll be listed as questionable, mm-hmm. and they'll try to to get him out there, and they'll, and they'll see. Obviously, he will not be a hundred percent, but frankly, very few players are a hundred percent at this time of the year. Judy, uh, I know how busy this time is, and especially even right now, as you got that call on what I assume is your bat phone, and you ignored it for me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I really appreciate. I'm it. sorry you could hear the, that. The, oh, everybody heard that. That was an emergency. Whatever you just ignored, I'm just hoping everyone on the other end is okay. You know, whatever that was, I hope that they're all right. Thank you so much for the time, and enjoy the games this weekend. My pleasure. You too. Enjoy it. Take, Take care. care. Yeah, Judy Batista. Uh, columnist for NFL.com, reporter insider for NFL Network. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say about the refs. Okay, I understand when people don't like when it's a storyline at all. I'm sorry, but it is. We live in the, the, the day and age of gambling. We live in the day and age of every conspiracy theory on social media gets shared and propagated. And this one, to me, just doesn't pass the smell test. I don't believe in conspiracies of the script, okay? I don't go that far. But are you telling me that the NFL didn't look at those ratings... A a league that is that wealthy, that rich, that powerful, you know, they are, they are capitalism in body, baby. This is a league that for most of its existence was like, you got your bell rung. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're fine. You're gonna be all right. There's no, this is probably, that's not that bad for you. You can get smoked in the, in the lid billion times over and over and over again and we ain't just gonna keep it quiet they had to have that story broken okay i'm not a benefit of the doubt guy if if you do this move show me the grades if you're gonna put the officiating crew that has the lowest again let me say it again the lowest win rate for home teams over the last three seasons home teams only won 41 percent of the games that this guy officiated 
That doesn't seem fishy to you, Sean Smith? I don't think this dude, by the way, I want to make this very clear. I do not think Sean Smith goes into the game and the league has said to him, Sean, we need the Chiefs, baby. Shawnee, 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 Sean, are you listening to us, Sean? Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. We need it. Get it done. I don't think he's there throwing the game. I don't think he's had the officiating crew. Again, it goes back to the conspiracy stuff of how many people need to keep a secret, okay? End of conspiracy. If you think that the NFL has told this guy this is what we need to do or that they influence these officials in any way, no, because an official would have come out and talked about it. Somebody's breaking rank. There's always going to be some... You've all seen cop movies where there's a group of dirty cops and then there's the one guy who's like, I can't do this, okay? I got to come clean. The NFL officials would do the same thing. This is just every walk of life. There's absolutely no way in hell... There's no way, 0% chance that they have gone to Sean Smith and they have given him some type of a directive to give this game to the Chiefs. But you're telling me some nerd with all the spreadsheets, with all the information that they keep behind lock and key about these NFL grades didn't slide a paper over across the desk and said, we can pick between these two, right? He's going, he's got the two pieces of paper. He's like, we can pick between these two officiating crews. But one of the pieces of paper is closer to whoever makes this decision. Like, you know, he's sliding with both hands. He's like, there's these two, but he's covering one of his hands. He's covering the names of the officiating crew that has the reasonable road team record. And the, the team that has the most, advantage, the most advantageous road team record, he's sliding across the table a little bit further and like circling the name. And kind of like, huh, you know, could be good. All I'm saying is with these things, NFL, you don't want us to talk about this stuff. You want me to seem stupid and crazy and embarrassing and all these fans to go away and for us to not have it. Then be more transparent. What do you have to lose with this stuff? Like, this is what I don't understand. Oh, the refs are going to feel exposed. Oh, the refs. Not the refs. God forbid their little feelings. His officials, like, who was it? I don't, I hate getting the names wrong here, but I, whatever, they're all bad, so I don't care. I think it was what Bill Vinovich's crew this year that was getting stapled for all the mistakes at the end of games. The one that was at the end of the Lions Cowboys game, right? And, and they went, don't worry, we're going to punish this guy. We're going to make sure that this guy feels the right. And then he's on the Sunday night game the following week. He went, oh, oh, okay, all right. Judy's right. We need more than a pool reporter at the end of a game with no accountability for officiating in the era of gambling, in the era of a million different camera angles. Forget the gambling. Forget the gambling. Honestly, forget the gambling because I know some of you are going to come at me for that. You're going to go, oh, JD, you're a DJ, and it's all you that cares about this. Only the DJs care. No, you all getting to watch these games, you have a million cameras. We have the eyes in the sky. We all get a good look. We all get a good peek. So when these guys make a mistake, it gets hyperemphasized. Do I think that we're too unfair to officials sometimes? Absolutely. Do I want more review in sports? No, I hate review. I feel like it was one of the great mistakes of our time. God, I hate review. I hate it so much in every single sport. I, I don't even want robot umpires. The only reason I kind of want robot umpires is because some of these dudes are ridiculous the way that they treat the game. But I love the human element, Okay. I like that mistakes can happen. I love that we can all unite in being mad at an official together. It is, 
we live in divisive times. Okay? Can we not agree? This is divisive, divisive times. And people blame different people for that. People di- blame different circumstances for that. But I, for one, love the idea that we can all come together and hate officials the same and blame officials the same and feel as though we could do a better job, just the same, with just a little bit of training. That we have, we're, we're all the Dunning-Kruger effect for officials. It's great. I love it as a society. It bonds us. Never change it. Get rid of the robots. I'm a human guy. Humans first. That's my, that's my position always. That's my platform always. Always humans first. Don't listen to the AI version of this podcast someday, for God's sakes, when they decide to get rid of me and go, you know, we can just steal everything that he ever put out and it's ours. We own it. So we'll just do that. I'm not for the machines. I'm, I'm for the common person. But just let us in on this, for God's sake, NFL. Why does this have to be so secretive? The more secretive you are, the, the more we're going to think this way. And it's impossible not to feel this way. You just had like 50 million people watch the Chiefs game. And yeah, a lot of people are going to watch the Super Bowl. And that's what they say. Everybody watches the Super Bowl. Why do they need to put the blah, 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 blah? No, of course. Because that, it's very, very clear that there is a Swifty bump. All right? It's very, very clear that with her there, the story changes. If she's at the Super Bowl, it creates a different level of engagement. And they're trying to grab football fans. Have you seen some of these, like, Reddit threads? Have you seen Twitter? Just Google Taylor Swift football, Kelsey, whatever the hell you want to do, and, and go down the rabbit hole. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's I will never do that. Yeah, no one cares about you. Uh, I'm talking. It's a massive, massive, massive deal. And so having the official who is the number one guy. Oh, it was Brad Allen's crew. Good job. Brad Allen's crew. Sorry to Bill Vinovich. Sorry, sorry, my man. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, bro. <laughs> my bad. Throwing you under the bus like that. Either way, if you're going to do this, I think that this is going to be the next step. We, we have to demand better of these leagues. Why is it so secretive? Why in a league where we can get Seth Wickersham breaking through the barriers of the Patriots organization, the secret of Patriots, the relationship with Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. We can get all the nitty gritty from Seth on that. Why can't we get how they grade the refs? Why is that so hard? Can we not? Who, who stands to lose something? If it's just cut and dry, if it's based on a formula, show us the stats. Release the stats. Show us who the best officiating crews are. It's already a story. You're not preventing it from becoming a story. It's already something people are talking about, okay? Have my brother and I had conversations about what the Ravens need to do offensively against the Chiefs? No. Have we had conversations about the officiating crew? Yes. Yes, we have. So be transparent. The more transparent you have, the less you have to hide. The less you have to hide, the less we're going to investigate, okay? We're the detectives. We're the detectives snooping around, and the NFL is like, why, why did you run? <laughs> why, did you, why did you run? Why did you go out on the lamb? Like, because I was afraid. Afraid of what? Explain, and then everything will be fine. Anyways, ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we will be giving away tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto from February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the daily code word and episodes of the J.D. Bunkus podcast, this show, 
Subscribe and review to the show, please. Leave five stars if you listen on iTunes or Spotify. Share it. You want listening on YouTube, whatever the hell you're doing, leave a thumbs up. That would be really kind of you. So you're listening to this podcast, and you can text a code word to 590-590 for your chance to win tickets to the NHL All-Star Game Fanfare. Today's code word is Crosby. Our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. I think it's the last one. It is. So pay attention, lock in, get ready, strap them on. So if you've now missed, if you don't get them tomorrow, you can go down to nhl.com backslash fanfare while supplies last and you can grab some tickets to yourself. And I I highly, highly, highly doubt that you're going to regret the experience anyways. Um, Okay, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk about a capital L for Luca. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Let's close this out. I need to say before we what we missed, I said at the top of the show that Armin said something that made me laugh, and we were talking before about The Simpsons. And you said people your age don't watch The Simpsons, and I would like to say I don't believe you. I genuinely don't think that's true. I think that you have in your circle of the mid-20-year-olds not seen it. And you said that you prefer Family Guy, which I got to tell you, that says a lot about you. No, I'm <laughs> just saying I said our generation yeah, yeah. Uh, That says a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about you and your taste, if that's the way you go. First of all, Anybody with a brain knows it goes South Park 1 by a lot, like, gap. Seems like your circle thinks South Park is number one. No, If you have a brain, if you're a critical thinker, if you enjoy, you know, if you you like the, the finer things, if you like the best of the best, the number one in the cartoon power rankings is South Park. They've just had the longest run of dominance. Does Simpsons top tier touch South Park top tier? Absolutely. I could even say that... Some of the best Simpsons go ahead of some of the best South Park. But consistent, dominant run, never really having a drop-off, it's South Park. Simpsons had the drop-off. They, they did. Anybody, who, anybody who's a fan of these things knows that. Family Guy isn't even like, a, it's not even a top three, it's not even a top four, it's not even a top five. It's, it's, it's like in the cartoon power rankings, it had a moment, then it lasted really long, and whatever, it's some people's cup of tea. Um, it's had, it has, it has moments, it has moments, but the idea that that would be like the Gen Z, that, that would be the Gen, first of all, it's been around for way longer. It's way more the millennials show clearly, but it just kind of reeks of, again, how you guys don't contribute anything. (laughs) You haven't added anything to the culture other than being like, we wear retro clothes. It's like, okay, cool. So you wear the stuff that we wore as kids when we were in the nineties. Okay. Got it. Cool. What else do you guys do? You're like, not uh, like we, we made TikTok memes dances and gifts and you, all of those things. That's that's pretty much us. Again, that is pushing I, it. Like, that's what I mean. It's like this isn't you, and that's that's all you guys do is you appropriate and then say this is what we did, and it's like not one original thing has come from Gen Z. Like you guys have, a, this is what you did. Vaping. That's y'all. You guys did vapes. Sick. TikTok dances. You guys. TikTok. You, totally you. Everybody else on TikTok, frankly, if you're my age and you do anything other than scroll TikTok, I think it's brutally embarrassing. 
And le- you got to be really funny, really funny, really funny to be on TikTok and be my age, in my opinion. So you guys did vaping. You made that super popular. And you did TikTok dances. And what else? What else? What okay, else? But, uh, uh, lots of complaining. But we did that too. We did that too. And your other legacy is what we talked about with Sid yesterday, which is you guys hate work and going to work. And those two things you're just out on. The idea that you have to put in a hard day's work to your guys' is, is, is out of your mind. Even today. I like, think some people just don't, just don't bow down to the grind culture. I'm not saying me. Yeah. You know I grind. But I'm just saying mm. it's like we don't, we don't put the grind culture on a pedestal. Some portion of the younger generation. <laughs> I hate speaking for a whole generation, man. No, it's true. It but, sucks. But also, no, you guys are definitely the entitlement generation. Again, I got 10 years in the biz and you're just interrupting me because you're like, let me speak. I'm Gen Z. I got it. I'll, I'll, let me jump in on this. I'm kidding. You know, I love you. Anyway, um, I just need to know if this is true, Gen Z, if, if you listen. I need you to either back Armin or tell me otherwise that this is not, this is, if Family Guy is in fact your show, if that is the cultural reference point for Gen Z, I'm done. I did not want to go that far when I'm I done with you guys. Guy, JD. I'm done. I, I know I tease, I know I make fun, but I've hired a lot of Gen Z fellas. Uh, I've I've said, hey, I welcome you with open arms. I'll try to teach you. I will I will try to impart my wisdom upon you. I will try to help grow the youth the way that it was not done to me by Gen X or the Boomers. None of them in the, not, <laughs> look around. I didn't get this. I didn't get the treatment. I didn't get the, hey, best idea wins. Hey, I'll help mentor you. Hey, I'll help you crack them. I didn't get those things. That was, those guys, that, they got the famine mentality. I don't have that. You know, with me, everybody eats. Everybody sits down at the table. Everybody gets a bite. I want to share the wealth. But if the family guy thing is true, I'm, I'm going with the, the, the Gen X and the boomers and I'm, I'm shutting it down. I'm saying this is over and I'm, 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 I'm closing the gates. I'm becoming a gatekeeper and I'm, I'm, I'm closing the gate and I'm locking the key. I'm locking, I'm locking the lock and I'm saying, and I, I'm throwing that key. I'm doing one of those things into the snowbank, like a big old wind up and I'm, and I'm letting it rip. I'm honestly surprised you thought Gen Z's watch Simpsons. Like, that's not a thing. I'm sure there's a small portion that You're are right. Like, I'm so sorry that the souls. people who are inside all the time and who don't ever go anywhere and do God, just want to watch. Man. <laughs> you guys should see I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to have a heart attack. I, 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 I honestly, my left arm is going, no. I can't handle this. I need the next thing. Because here's the other thing. Today on What We Missed, Jon Stewart is coming back. Tell me right now. Don't look at anything. What do you know about Jon Stewart? Dude, I, I actually had to Google image him quickly. Okay. Just because I genuinely... <laughs> dude, dude, I had to Google image him. Okay, continue. And then I was like, oh, okay, I've seen a couple of this guy's viral clips on like X or whatever. Yeah. But I cannot Again, if you call say, it X again, you're fired. Okay? Dude, it's called X. No, it's not. It's Twitter. It's Twitter on the show. I you, got you. You can Elon. call it X at home, all right? What you do in the privacy <laughs> of your own home is none of my business. But when you're here, when you're at work, you speak like a professional to me. And that's you say Twitter, you don't say X. <laughs> So, yeah, honestly, I, I don't know anything about The Daily Show. I just found mm-hmm. out he was on it, hosting it for, what, 16 years, 99 yeah, to enough. 2015. Yeah, I like how I said, don't Google it, and you're like... <laughs> <laughs> no, this was already presented to me. No, oh, I'm yeah, no, he's like, I didn't know anything about it, but he hosted about it for honestly. 16 years, and uh, he got the job. No, okay. Uh, yeah, so, so we're just, I'm just, like, there is a, 
So what do you know about him? For, uh, like, okay, beyond this now. So once you Google image him and you see his mm-hmm. face, he is what to you? He pokes fun at big names, and I, I know that okay. much. That's pretty much okay. the extent of it. Yeah, okay. that's it. Because we don't, I don't watch late night talk shows. Like, okay. sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not my yeah. thing. Hey, I get it, fam. Like, some people will, <laughs> but it's not my thing. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, Why, was it him coming back to the show like a big revelation to you guys? Oh, yeah. It's a massive deal. For If you're my age, it's, it's about as big of a deal as it could possibly be. So Jon Stewart is one of the greatest political satirists ever. Um, for If you're my age and you lived through the Iraq War and mm. Afghanistan and 9-11, he was your person that held political authority to account. He moved the needle. The Daily Show was much, must, must, must watch viewing for anybody that had even like a passing interest in politics. He created... I, I don't like saying this, but yeah, Stephen Colbert, you know who he is? Wow, okay, never mind. Um, if Just go look at, here's, here's what your homework is for today. Go look at all of the people that were on The Daily Show. All of the people that were on The Daily Show, and I'm guessing you will know some of them. It was the place to be. It basically usurped Saturday Night Live as the place that a comic should be. If you were the... And not, and again, it's they're different things, right? I'm, I'm not saying don't get your. Um, I can't say that. Uh, yeah, don't don't be upset if you are an SNL person. I get that they're two different things. One is sketch, one is political humor, scripted political humor. But yeah, SNL or the Daily Show to me was the spot where if you were funny, if you were an up and comer. If you were a somebody, then you were going to land on that show. And when he went away, and all due respect to Trevor Noah, who I, I like Trevor Noah. I read his book. I was in, I'm, I'm extremely impressed by Trevor Noah's journey. The, the human being Trevor Noah is, is incredible to me. And if you haven't read his book, you should. It's, it, it actually taught me a lot about apartheid. Like I, I re, When I read Trevor Noah's book, I realized how little I knew about apartheid. I went, holy crap, I'm really stupid. I don't know anything about anything. This guy, yeah, um, he came from as bad a human conditions as you can imagine and became the host of The Daily Show. I think he's a very smart guy. I don't particularly love his humor, but yeah, the show died the day Jon Stewart left. He, he was The Daily Show. He is a brilliant political activist. He has fought tooth and nail for the rights of veterans, firefighters in 9-11. He's like a, a truly impressive individual who I think speaks for a lot of people my age who were left-leaning and now, yeah, that's taken on a different meaning, but even still, it just, he is, he is a voice for a lot of people that are of millennial, the age of millennials, politically speaking. Um, Him coming back is super interesting. The thing is though, like you said, I, I think part of millennial culture was very much no more, no more late night talk shows either. Like we, I wasn't the Letterman era. It's, it's the people that are older than me that really love Letterman, that really loved Leno and Leno, not really so much, but there's, there's like Letterman diehards. Um, I've never really watched late night television. It's never been a thing for me either, but this, this was different. This was not late night in the, the this wasn't coming on 11 o'clock at night, right? This was in a more primetime slot. This was big, big, big time television. And so, yeah. I would say that 
it'll be fascinating to see how much it gets absorbed. But I know for someone that is my age, like the the very first episode, certainly, I think a lot of people will be watching. It's a it's a big deal. Anyways, what else we miss? Luka Doncic got a fan kicked out last night in Dallas. Uh, the fan was shouting at Luka throughout the game, but the thing that took it over the line was Luka. You're tired. Get your butt on the treadmill. Luca gave him a long stare and then got him kicked out eventually. The fan was mm-hmm. wearing a Devin Booker jersey, which should be noted because that's that's a bit of a Luca's rival. Mm. So yeah, bo- uh, post game he was a little little choppy, going at Tim McMahon from ESPN, mm-hmm. saying he's putting out bad things. Not surprised that Tim McMahon tweeted about mm-hmm. it, and he's basically saying, you know, the fan paid his ticket. Uh, I usually don't do this, but he kind of went overboard. What's Dude, your thoughts? Luca, Luca, this is this is this is now the most embarrassing moment of his career. Um, no question about it. Uh, a fan yelling "Get on the treadmill" is about as soft as it gets. Like that, it, the, the idea that we could ever be living in a reality where you could go to a game and say something like that and be ejected is insane. Especially given that you are paying for a ticket that isn't within earshot of a player. Um, I'm all for someone crosses the line, kick them out of the stadium. And we all know what we're talking about. You've sat at games where someone says something uncomfortable and you go, Ooh, I don't like that, man. Like that's, yeah, that's not that. That's nothing. The idea that he turned his head to look at that fan and gave the ejection sign based off that. And that those reporters could hear it, right? This wasn't speculation. This wasn't contested in terms of, Oh, he actually said something offensive. All Luca kept doing and stammering about how he had been heckling him all games. Like who cares? That's part of the sporting experience. Luca, get used to it. You're supposed to be from Europe where it's the, every time there's a European basketball player, we always go, look at what they're used to playing in. Look at what Jokic is used to playing in. So I really don't want to hear it from Luka Doncic. That's, that's pretty awful. And I think that the NBA needs to actually hold these players accountable for this and say, Hey, you better stop kicking our fans out because this is not the, this is not the PR that we need as this league. Anyways, we'll see you tomorrow. See you at Zoe and Tyler Dunn.